Minecraft is a sandbox video game in which players build constructions out of 3D cubes in a procedurally generated world. If you haven't seen Minecraft before, I highly recommend you check out some YouTube videos of the game. Minecraft is the best-selling PC game of all time. But Minecraft is not just a game. It's a platform for creativity, used by players within the game as well as programmers outside of it who program Minecraft. Gabrielle Simmer is a 16-year-old programmer who built NodeMC, a tool that wraps around the Minecraft server process. NodeMC can be used to build dashboards for Minecraft and spin up additional Minecraft servers. In our conversation, Gabriel explains why he built NodeMC, and he also explains why people are so excited about Minecraft and how people are hacking Minecraft and what the future of Minecraft is now that Microsoft has acquired Mojang, the company that owns Minecraft. Gabriel Simmer is the creator of NodeMC, an API for Minecraft servers. Gabriel, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Great to be here. Let's start by talking about Minecraft on a broad sense. Why do people play Minecraft? I think people play Minecraft largely for the creative outlet that it offers. Um, the fact that it's so open and it's so broad, there's no defined uh, goal in mind. It, um, it really draws a lot of people in because they just get to do whatever the heck they want. And uh, it, it's, it's just a huge... It's just a huge time sink when you really get into it. Yeah, Minecraft was created by Marcus Pearson, and he was inspired to create the game uh, by these generative games, such as Dwarf Fortress. We did a show on Dwarf Fortress. Just for people who are unfamiliar with the broader um, genre of generative games, can you define what it is and how Minecraft represents a generative game? So generative games are games that uh, they don't have a set world. When you start a new game, it starts a new world, and it's all randomized using some sort of algorithm. Um, and it, you can't... It's, it's very difficult to get the exact same experience across different worlds because everything is so randomly generated, and um, and it's really... It, the experience really changes depending which direction you go. Hmm. So when you have these uniquely created, algorithmically generated games, why does that emphasize the importance of creativity in the gameplay? It, it, it emphasizes it because you really have to think outside the box uh, when it comes to what you actually want to do. When you first start off in Minecraft, you usually the first thing you do anyways is you punch a tree and when you punch a tree it's like oh okay i'm i'm punching a tree this this isn't very fun but you have to really think about what that tree leads to you get some wood you get a crafting bench you start building a house maybe it's probably just a little shack to begin with but as you start to think about the different blocks and stuff you start putting things together it really just starts to take form and it, you start to build something much bigger and then it's two in the morning and you think it's time to take a break. And how does that creativity of the Minecraft player compare to the creativity of a programmer? I think it's pretty similar with programmers. You have 
you have a, a very a very nice amount of freedom, depending on what you're working with, obviously. Uh, sometimes you don't get the same amount of freedom. But um, overall, I think it's a lot of thinking outside the box and thinking of what you can build with the, with the knowledge and the uh, resources that you have and trying to create the most functional or, well, in the case of making websites, beautiful uh, thing that you can. People say that Minecraft is useful for teaching kids to code. What's your perspective on that? Uh, I think it's a very reasonable thing to say. Um, there's this thing called redstone in it, which is basically the electrical wiring. And this is more hardware engineering, but I think it still applies where you can teach the kids about um, things like uh, logic gates and uh, timers and stuff like that. And uh, not just taking a step back to just the blocks, it's just like the different combinations and how they go together. Well, so, I mean, in the context of Redstone, so that's like where you can log onto YouTube and see these videos of people who have built ALUs and entire circuit boards within the game. So they actually develop the, basically the hardware instrumentation for a computer within Minecraft. Um, so, but why would we teach kids to code through Minecraft rather than just teaching them to code through a programming language? Because like, I've, I've heard of... You know, these parents who just let their kids run wild on Minecraft, but it's like, why wouldn't you just why wouldn't you just put them in front of a computer with some programming? I think because Minecraft, as unstructured as it is, it does offer a little bit of conformity. Like this is what you have to this is kind of the style of the game. These are the things that you can do and just make it better. Mm-hmm. Um uh, <laughs> Interesting. Okay, well, let's talk about the programming ecosystem around Minecraft. What are the different ways that people write code that changes their Minecraft experience? Like either hacking on Minecraft from the outside looking in or hacking the game from within the experience? So there's historically the Minecraft modding community has always been quite big because of the fact that it's built with Java, which is very easy for people to get into and modify the source code and then recompile it um, or repackage it, whichever one. Um, it's always been a very storied uh, and successful uh, community. And it's... Sorry, what was the question again? So, like, how? what are the different ways that people write code that changes their Minecraft experience? So... Okay, so more recently, just speaking recently, there's uh, a mod loader called Forge, and people can use the API that Forge provides to create uh, new objects, new world generation, new um, new monsters, and just just using this one API, and it's really easy for them to just get in and work with Java and start learning the basics. Uh, if they really want to get into it, they can start. Uh, there's this project called the, I think it's called the Minecraft Coder Pack. And it basically allows them to completely dis- deconstruct the Minecraft jar and completely open up the source code for them to just play around with and then repackage it and just use the mods. So what kinds of things have people done with that? That sounds very, like you could get into extremely high granularity of what the game consists of. 
Yeah, there's been a lot of like a ton of um, a ton of projects. There's been a lot of um, a lot of smaller things like just optimizing the code in general so that it runs smoother on older machines because that's something that Minecraft has a bit of trouble with is it's very unoptimized in um, in certain aspects. Sometimes it's not really uh, Mojang's fault. Sometimes that's just the fact that it's Java. But um, there's other ones where they've just completely redone the whole game so that there's um, there's like whole new dimensions that you go you can go to. There's a new loot system. You can go in and change um, like how how the physics works. So you can have cave-ins if you dig down too deep and it's just dirt around you. Um, there's this one mod in particular called uh, I think it's called Terra Firmacraft. Which basically overhauls a huge number of the systems in Minecraft, from the breeding of animals to just how you mine and the different resources that you can get from mining. Um, it just gives it, the fact that it's Java and it's, and it's so easy to just get in and do stuff. Just means that there is basically no limit to what people can do. What are the other languages that you can use to script in Minecraft? Do you have to use Java? For the most part, yes. Um, there are some other there are some other alternatives that offer like very basic scripting. Um, I think those are mostly server side, but I could be wrong. There could be an alternative for clients. For the most part, though, yes, you will have to use Java because that's what the game's built in. If if you wanted to, you could build like a really simple Java library for, or Java loader for the actual game, or and then and then build an external application for the desktop that it hooks into. But it, um, for the most part, people just use Java. There are some Minecraft fans that host their own servers. Why would I want to host my own Minecraft server? One of the biggest aspects of Minecraft is the community that has built around it. And hosting a Minecraft server gives you the ability to take in some of that community and build it uh, on your own server by uh, maybe just offering like a place to hang out and build and talk or offering these mini games that people have created. Um, it, the main reason people want to host servers is just to play with their friends, which is a huge part of, uh, of Minecraft and why people play it is to be able to play with their friends. Okay. And, you're the author of Node MC. Explain what Node MC is. So Node MC is a is an application written written in uh, Node.js, so a lot of JavaScript, and it started off as a very simple console for Minecraft. My original idea was to build something like um, like Multicraft, where it's all just one closed. Uh, it's just one closed binary that kind of runs the servers and has the dashboard and everything in it. But after limitations with the packaging software that I was going to use to package the executable, uh, which was, I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, but after some limitations with that, I just decided to open it up because it wasn't, it wasn't going to work the way I thought it would. So it, um, it's basically just an API that gives you 
access to the Minecraft server. It lets you run commands on the server. It lets you uh, fetch logs, stop the server, start the server, check if the server is actually running, uh, and just stuff like that. It's it's just basically a wrapper around what you can already do. Sure. So, like a, a, an MVP for something that you could build on top of NodeMC is like a dashboard. So, like you could build a dashboard on top of your Minecraft server using NodeMC to look at different things that are com- the, to aggregate your log data that's coming off of the server and turn that into a dashboard. So, why would that be useful? Why would I want a dashboard? for the information that's coming off of my Minecraft server? Dashboards are primarily for the remote management. Um, not a whole lot of people who set up Minecraft servers are going to know how to uh, SSH into a server or uh, use the command line interface to manage their files and stuff. And They the want goal, something higher level. Yeah, they, they want something higher level. So NodeMC just kind of takes that, takes all that complex stuff away from them and just gives them the ability to build their own, their own higher level thing. Um, whether that's just customizing the, the dashboard that comes by default, or if that's building something completely new, it just gives them a higher level of, it just gives them a, a higher level to build upon. So of all the things that you could build, why did you choose to build node MC this, this Minecraft server wrapper i i'm not really sure i i really wanted to learn how to use node.js and at the time i also really wanted to um build a control panel for minecraft because that's just it's it was an idea that i had and i went okay let's let's just combine these two and let's learn how to write node.js and let's learn some more about um, about administrating a Minecraft server and the functions that have to be done on a, on a fairly regular basis, and kind of just build that all in. It wasn't like a oh, you, it, like a suggestion from someone like oh, you should build the Minecraft dashboard. It was like I've got this idea, I've got this language I want to learn. It looks possible, so let's just try it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's generally a great process to learning something is like you kind of combine these two, you know, two two desires into one thing. Like you want to learn you want to learn a new programming language and you have some random application that you want to build rather than rather than like building the application in some programming language you're familiar with, you build it in the new language because it incentivizes you to keep learning at a fast pace because you have a certain objective that you want to reach with that new language. Yeah, absolutely. So, not Node MC is a Minecraft server process wrapper. What does that mean? To, like, talk about the interface that the Minecraft server exposes and how you interact with that through Node MC. So basically, what happens is Node MC starts up a Minecraft server process, and it start it starts it up using uh, Node.js's child process. Um, module. So basically what happens is it starts in the background, it starts getting the log from, or the standard output from that, and it stores it, well, currently in the current release, it stores it in a variable. Um, and when you send a, when you send a command to it through the web interface, it's just standard input, uh, inputs it into the server like it was a, 
like like it was using the uh, command line interface. Um, and what it opens up is this huge web API that can be accessed from another app or it, the local host dashboard. And it gives all these, um, I, I'm pretty sure I'm using, or I'm trying to um, conform to the, uh, the CRUD API um, structure. So you've got your post, your delete, your put, uh, your get, all the, all the kind of standard web API uh, interfaces. So you've got uh, like, you, you can post a command, so you can tell the server to do something, you can uh, get the log, you can delete a file, you can put a file and stuff like that. What kinds of things would I want to post? Like, give me give me a better idea of how I would use this in practice. Because the the potential applications of NodeMC go far beyond just building dashboards. Give me an idea of like what kind of applications I could build on top of NodeMC. So not you you don't just have to build dashboards. One idea that I had uh, that I tentatively looked at but didn't actually develop further is. Uh, a dashboard that lets you manage a lot of servers at once, not just um, not just one individual server, because of the way because of the way things are set up, you just have to send like one command to the server and have it do the functions. Um, you could build uh, Android apps if you wanted. You could build Basically, anything that can hook into a web API, you could pretty much build on top of NodeMC. So I've seen these premonitions about Minecraft where the kids who are playing Minecraft today, the kids who are growing up playing Minecraft today are going to be the quantum computer programmers of the future. Uh, These kids are going to think of ways to program that other people have not thought of. Are they going to be... I mean, assuming this is true, are these people going to be building, like, is Minecraft going to become this actual programming environment where people are going to be doing computer-aided design within Minecraft and doing all kinds of stuff that has real-world applications? I think we're seeing that a little bit today, uh, where people have been, um, I think there's this one program that lets you convert, um, that lets you convert Minecraft buildings into 3D printed objects. Um, I think, I think to an extent, uh, the whole, uh, kids building quantum mechanic or quantum computers is, it's kind of correct. I think there's, there's certainly, there's certainly a portion of the Minecraft community that is going to go on and do that. Um, it's definitely, um, it's definitely going to become much more widespread as an actual uh, as an actual environment where you can create professional objects and kind of mock things up. Hmm. So what are you working on with NodeMC right now? Where would you like to see the project go? Do you project that NodeMC will be like an interface that uh, will become increasingly used as, as, P- as we move towards this future where people are using minecraft in increasingly creative ways maybe using it more as a platform rather than just a game i i hope 
uh, well, right now what we're doing with NoFC is we're actually rewriting uh, a whole bunch of it. Um, it used to be quite a monolith, uh, but we've been breaking it up into little microservices uh, thanks to Jared Allard, um, who is working on an application called NEXE, which lets you bundle up uh, Node.js apps into a single executable. Uh, he's been helping a lot with rewriting it all in ES6. Um, and I'm working on the dashboard in React. What I'd really like to see NodeMC um, do is kind of become a lot more standard for uh, Minecraft, especially Mon Minecraft hosts, bigger Minecraft hosts, because I want I want there to be more more of a widespread use of it, where people are realizing the potential and building their own dashboards on top of it um, and I hope that it'll also allow for for companies to be able to go in and say okay we need to deploy five Minecraft servers for these guys because they need they need to be designing uh, a new product and we need to be able to control these servers and get the information off of them really easily, but we don't want to manually uh, like copy these files or clone these Docker installations. We can just go, okay, we've got this NodeMC server. We just go to it. We, we send a command to the API, and it spins up those servers for us. So you are describing a future in which there is a, basically a platform as a service for Minecraft that would allow, so like if there's a company, like an AutoCAD company, and they're designing a building in Minecraft, and they need Minecraft servers to architect that building, you're saying that NodeMC would be a part of their workflow where they could spin up Minecraft servers, get into those servers, design their 3D printed building, and then and then do all the orchestration around those Minecraft servers uh, by interfacing with NodeMC. Yeah, exactly. Fascinating. How far do you think we are from that kind of future? Uh, I don't think we're very far, actually. Minecraft has um, it's been growing by leaps and, uh, leaps and bounds in this area um, as more and more people realize the potential of this open-world sandbox game where you can just build with blocks. Um, there's been a few projects where uh, there's been like develop this um, this uh, this neighborhood or something like or a project akin to that where it's where it's like okay we've got this real world problem and we want kids or adults to figure it out and we want them to use Minecraft because that's really easy to quickly build something that we can actually look at and go, okay, this is, this is doable. We can build this. Why is Minecraft more effective at this than tools that are built expressly for this purpose? Well, for one, I think it's cheaper. Um, I, well, I, I can't speak too much about many architectures, but at 30 bucks, I mean, Minecraft is pretty cheap. It's also very widespread. Um, and it's really quick to, mock something up. You load up a new world, you uh, get the blocks that you want to build, and you just start right-clicking, and you just start building. Um, 
there are, of course, there's mods and stuff that help you build uh, build stuff quicker. But in the grand scheme of things, I just think it's really fast and it's really easy for absolutely anyone to contribute their ideas. It's it's like why do people still use Microsoft Paint almost? Yeah, exactly. People still use Microsoft Paint because it's really fast and you can do stuff quickly and it does the job. Yeah. Um, so, but in order to move to this ambitious future where Minecraft is not regarded as a game, as a triviality, I can imagine there would be a lot of work that needs to be done in order to re-architect it from this game platform to this productivity general use platform. And it sounds challenging because Minecraft got acquired by Microsoft in 2014. And when it when when you have you know a product that that the 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 future is it requires this big pivot and this big uh, execution. Um, I mean, it's really hard for companies to do this, for technology products to do this when the core technologists have left the company. Um, what's your sense of of how likely there? I mean, or how much execution risk there is in that kind of project? I mean, in in the in the project of the of shifting from becoming uh, the project of shifting from a game to an actual platform can, can microsoft do it i think microsoft can definitely do it if anyone has the resources and time it's definitely microsoft i mean we've seen them do the work on well we haven't actually seen it in person but we've seen them do it with the hololens where they have microsoft running on that and they've got you know people playing the game on the hololens and i think that's going to be a huge step in making Minecraft less of a game and more of an actual application because people can just put on this headset and suddenly, boom, they've got these building blocks in front of them that they can just start building with their hands. Hmm. Speaking of the acquisition, why did, why did Notch, Marcus Pearson, the guy that created Minecraft, why did he want to sell Minecraft? I think, I'm, I'm not sure, but I don't think it was entirely his decision, but from what I can see, he just wanted to move on for for much of the for for a lot of the time leading up to that, he wasn't actually working on Minecraft that much. He was working on his own side projects and he'd actually handed off developer or development to uh, Jeb, who was another uh, who was another developer and is now the head developer of Minecraft. So Notch wasn't working too much of it too much on it. Anyways, and I think he just wanted to move on and just, he felt like Microsoft might be a good fit. I, I, I'm guessing. Um, I can't actually explain his actual reasoning behind it, but my best guess is he just felt like it was time for him to move on and he thought Microsoft would be a good fit. There are some programmers who build something and it becomes their life's work and then there's these other programmers that build something and maybe it's it becomes more mercenarial to them and they they're okay giving up that project in the former camp i can think of david heinemeyer hansen he he wrote base camp and he's he's described it as his life's work it's what he wants to build for the rest of his life i think mark zuckerberg has said the same thing about facebook but it's interesting that notch 
designed this thing that is such a work of art, and yet he was just ready to move on. What do you think that says about how programmers should approach their creative projects? I think programmers should create should approach their projects with the mindset of, okay, if this goes if this goes really, really well, and it's something that I do want to keep working on for a long time, then yes, this will be my, my life's work. But if they approach it with some sort of doubt in their mind that maybe it's going to get out of control or maybe it's not going to go very well, then maybe they should approach it a little bit more tentatively and just go, okay, this, if this goes really big, then I'm just going to kind of step away because... I'm not going to be able to control what um, what happens, and it, it it definitely depends on the type of person too. Um, but for the most part, I think people just need to think about what kind of project it is and if it can actually be sustained long term. I mean, um, Minecraft definitely can be sustained long term, but it's. I think Marcus Pearson was feeling a little bit. Um, a little bit like he was a bit burnt out um, and he didn't, he wasn't really able to contribute very much. So he kind of went, okay, I, I, I think he went into it originally with the intention of not having his life work. Um, he originally started Minecraft with the intention of just learning how to make a game. So it, I, yeah. I think if he went into it thinking, okay, this is my life's work, then he might have stayed with the project. Hmm. I want to change the direction of the conversation and kind of talk about your life, um, which is not a regular thing that I do on Software Engineering Daily, but um, you're 16 or 17 years old, and most of the people I have on the show are like a decade older or two decades older than that. So it's kind of an opportunity to get an interesting window into the life of a teenage programmer. Um, so you're 16 years old. How have you gotten enough programming experience to write a Minecraft server and understand all the domain expertise that you need to you know, work with Node.js and understand refactoring from monolith to microservices, all this stuff? How have you gotten enough experience for that? I think a lot of it is the fact that I started really early. I started, I think I was 10 years old and I started w working in C++ because I didn't understand that Apple had a proprietary lockdown on their app store. Um, I started programming C++ because I wanted to make an app for my, for my iPod. And I didn't understand that, oh, Apple doesn't accept that kind of thing. Um, but I started working in, in C++ and I kept working in it for a while. Um, and I think it was a mistake. It was both a mistake and a very good thing that I started in C++ because it gave me a better understanding of slightly lower level languages. Um, and it also, I think it kind of set up a stumbling block where I went, okay, every language is going to be like this. Every language is going to require me to build everything from the ground up. So why, why am I doing this? And eventually I, I switched to just building websites because that was, that was much easier and I saw the results much more immediately. Um, and 
Yeah. So, so different generations of programmers think about writing software in different ways. Um, and there are certain timeless principles, but there are other things that change rapidly from generation to generation. So as a 16-year-old, I, I want to get your idea for how you think about writing software. Can you describe that process? How do you think about writing code? I think about it um, as get a prototype done and then build on top of it. It's not the most efficient thing, and I'm not building um, you know, commercial applications, but I always go by build something that works, and then, you know, maybe maybe a little bit later, go back to it and build that same thing and build it slightly differently and then repeat so that I keep improving upon the, the same idea. It, even if it's not, um, even if it's not just working with code, even if it's just ideas that I've written down on paper, I mean, it's like, okay, this is what I thought back then. This is what I know now how many of these ideas can I bring over? I want to know about your general software usage patterns. What are the software tools that you use in everyday life, like communication tools, collaboration tools, uh, web apps, IDEs? Tell me all of it. So for, um, for communication, I use a lot of Slack. That is my primary form of communication. Um, but I have about half a dozen others that I always keep open because uh, I've got people on there who need to get in contact with me or it's just a community that I really like. Um, there's actually there's actually this really nifty application called Franz that I use that basically just, it's um, I think it's built with Electron and it basically just aggregates all of these messaging services into one application so I don't have, I don't have 50 Chrome tabs open. Um, and... Um, IDEs, I don't, I don't think Adam classifies as an IDE. Uh, I usually stick to uh, basically text editors because I'm not, I, I don't work so much in C languages or languages that really need an IDE or would be easier with an IDE. So I use a lot of Adam. Uh, I used to use Sublime Text or uh, I used to use uh, Visual Studio Code. Um, Notepad++ when I was on Windows. What about like consumer applications? Because I find that there's also this generational uh, generational gap between how different generations use social media, um, and it seems like the the time horizon of diff of these different generations of how they use these things is getting smaller and smaller with every generation. Like <laughs> uh, you know. There's you know a five year window of you know people from age uh, I don't know thirteen to eighteen and they use Snapchat in a certain way and they use Twitter in a certain way. What are the social media tools that you use and how important is social media to being an effective technologist? Social media is super important um, for getting ideas out there and kind of asking a greater audience, what do you think of this idea? Or what could I do better? Um, I use I use social media mainly for just getting feedback and getting, getting ideas and just bouncing other ideas off people. Um, 
granted a lot of people my age use it very differently. Um, but that's just kind of, especially when you're building open source software, it's super important to be able to just, um, communicate with the people who are using your software or want to build something on top of it or, uh, things like that. There are many technologists who talk about writing new software, new products. They think about it in terms of trends and categories, whether it's like social networking or software as a service or blockchain or virtual reality or containers, or I guess Minecraft in, in your case. What are the trends that you see as important? What are the ones that you see as overhyped and perhaps underhyped? I think... I think um, containers are super important. I personally haven't been able to play around with them too much because of what I'm currently working on. Um, but it's, um, I think that really needs to be, um, I, I don't really want to say much more widespread because I think they're already used quite a bit. But I think that's something that um, more people need to take advantage of. Something that's overhyped, I'd have to say, um, probably, I'm not sure, maybe Bootstrap. That's a bit overhyped. Um, it, I mean, it's not it's not a bad CSS library. It's just very big, and it's um, a lot of people find themselves just sticking to the default Bootstrap and not writing their own CSS, which. Is all right, but it can lead to some websites that look very similar. Hmm. What are the kinds of technologies that you want to be using when you're uh, building, or what? What are the next? What are the kinds of technologies that you want to build yourself in the next ten years? Uh, I want to build uh, my own version of uh, Jenkins or um, or CodeShip, where it's a continuous oh. integration tool for. Um, uh, kind of a more of a with more of a GitHub uh, approach to it, where um, people can go and they can create their own projects, and then people can just search for the project or um, you know contribute their own their own kind of build patterns or whatever. Um, that's kind of that's kind of what I'm edging towards next. After that, I I have no idea. <laughs> fascinating so like a continuous continuous build plus github style tool yeah something like that so maybe I, this kind of sounds like docker hub but maybe not exactly um i don't know interesting um so what about minecraft how did you get involved in minecraft when I mean, you're talking about programming uh did, did minecraft come first before programming minecraft came much later um I was actually part of a Lego robotics league and everyone was talking about Minecraft. Everyone was, Oh, this is the greatest thing. And I was just like, what is, I don't understand what all this excitement is around this. So I, I asked my parents to buy it and they did. I started playing it and I got hooked pretty much immediately. Um, it, uh, I, I, when I first started playing it, I didn't realize that there was this huge community of modding and making maps and redstone and all that. I just thought it was, oh, you can build cool stuff. <laughs> and how does it fit into your everyday life today? I, I don't still play, play it all. 
I, I do play it, um, not as often as I used to, but I do still boot it up, uh, not just for testing NodeMC, but for just for everyday playing, um, just to unwind a little bit. But I definitely play it a lot less. Interesting. So this future that you described of Minecraft and HoloLens or virtual reality, what is, what's at the intersection of that? What kinds of things are we going to see as Minecraft begins to cross over with HoloLens or VR? Um, I think we're going to see a lot more people getting stuck in VR. Um, what do you mean? Just um, like not being able to take off the headset and just kind of getting, getting very involved in the process of building their, um, their buildings. But um, I think what we'll see is a lot of, um, I think we'll see a lot bigger scale creations that people are going to be able to interact with much more effectively in VR. Hmm. What about, so talk, t- touch more on that addiction part. Or, or are you referring to addiction when you, when you say people won't be able to take off the headset? Are you just saying they'll be completely immersed or are you saying like this would be a serious addictive uh, problem? I think people are going to get very immersed. Even though Minecraft isn't the most realistic thing, it's one of those time sinks where you find this one little thing, you tweak it, and then you find another little thing and you add on to it or uh, things like that. Um, I also think people are going to get a little bit addicted to it uh, just because of the nature of Minecraft and what you can do in it, um, kind of the freedoms and the, the, the rush that it gives you when you do something really, really cool. Hmm. It's interesting. I, so when I was 16 or 17, I played poker a lot. I was, uh, I was very addicted to it and, uh, it was, you know, back then you could play online and, uh, it was very easy to, you know, play for money. And, um, I didn't learn how to control my addictions for a very long time. I mean, it took me like three or four years before I was like, Oh my God, I'm so addicted to this and I need to figure out a way to restrain myself. And virtual reality just seems like like the same kind of crack. Uh, I mean, it's, like I don't know. I, I just I look at these I look at these kinds of uh, kinds of addictions, these kinds of digital addictions that we have that are becoming increasingly widespread today. And I don't want to say I like worry about them, but I I think it definitely changes. Uh, it definitely changes our culture. It definitely changes how how widespread and and uh, how many different types of addictions there are. I mean, we think conventionally, we think of the addictions of like drugs and alcohol, um, you know, pornography or something. But like these, these digital addictions, like even just like scrolling Facebook endlessly or scrolling Mm -hmm. Instagram endlessly, these are really, really serious things that are going to impact, impact our world for the future, I, do you, do you see this as a significant problem among your peers? Um, as VR rolls out, I I feel like a lot of people are getting into it, and I think it's definitely because VR isn't very widespread right now. It's a bit difficult to say, but I think as time goes on and tech, the technology gets cheaper and um, and Google Cardboard starts to improve because 
it's i mean it's okay but it's um it's a cardboard box (laughs) (laughs) um i think as time goes on and things get cheaper i think it will become a problem to the point where there's going to be there's going to have to be some sort of um some sort of overhaul in the way or some sort of swing in the way we think of vr and the the safe usage of it Hmm. yeah i remember reading about this guy who got addicted to google glass and he checked into a psychiatric ward because he he wouldn't even have the glass on but he would just put his finger in front of his face and like scroll like do the scroll motion yeah i think we'll be seeing that a lot with the hololens too (laughs) yeah have you have you tried the hololens no, but I really want to. It looks like a super cool technology that yeah. I just can't wait to get my hands on. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So what, what else is in the future for Minecraft, uh, and what is, what's in your future? So in the future of Minecraft, I think um, I, I kind of feel like the development is slowing down. That said, the community is not slowing down. They're still continuously working on things. So I think Minecraft is going to shift a lot more to supporting the community right now it's it acknowledges the community it it does accept the community but it doesn't it changes some things that i think um that i think divides the community a little bit and i think in the future they're going to start working towards um like maybe a modding api that's been that's been rumored for a long time but there's been no official like yes this is actually a thing they've there's just been devs saying, yeah, it might be if we have time. So I think I think I think the modding API is hopefully a thing that's coming. I I, I pray and hope that that's that's happening, um, and that's just going to completely completely change the landscape for Minecraft. Um, for my own future, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I'm currently working on a a project that's going to kind of stress test node mc and give it um give it a a a much more heavy load to to handle um just make sure that it's it's okay and that i don't nothing breaks too badly when there's um you know 100 servers running and different people are hitting those servers or trying to start new ones. Um, but beyond that, you are, you are a few years away from the question of whether to enroll in college is, what do you think of that about that? Like, are you planning to go to college? Uh, I, I think I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I will, uh, probably in some sort of, uh, software engineering course. Um, but so you don't you don't think it's a scam? <laughs> well, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just ask because I'm I'm always curious about it. my um, you know I I went to school it took me a super long time. Uh, it's it's impossible to to gauge. Uh, you know, it, it's it's hard for me to say that it was a a bad decision because I'm happy with how I turned out, but. Um, the cost to benefit ratio is is enough to make you question that. And my my little brother dropped out of school and he's doing fine. So I don't know. It's yeah, interesting. It's, it's 
especially in this in this age where everything is, you know, there's a startup every other every other uh, apartment in New York or whatever, where everyone everyone is learning how to program, and there's just there is a fairly big demand, but it's it's also so competitive. So I, I think college uh, a college degree would definitely help out. I mean, does a college degree insulate against that though? Like, it does I don't see how a college degree insulates against, uh, you know, if you if you can't cut it in the startup startup world. I mean, if you've been programming since you're 10 years old, you know, I'm pr- pretty sure you you'd be fine as a programmer. Well, I, well, yeah, I think the startup world maybe not so much, but definitely with the bigger companies like the Googles and the Microsofts, where right. they're going to go, okay, do you what? What's your education? <laughs> Right. Well, they're lost. Well, Gabriel, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a fascinating conversation. Um, I'm hoping to do more shows about Minecraft. So this was a really good opportunity. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem.